So my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church. And uh, if you were next door um, at nine in the fellowship hall service, um, I will not be offended because you've already heard my message. If you slip out right now, <laughs> you are totally free to do that. OK, to- honestly, I'm not offended at all because um, we're dealing with the same text as we did over there. And um, I'm here if you weren't here last week. Because um, our senior pastor, Pastor David Runyon, um, is on family leave. It was given by our church staff. He will be back by our church board. He will be back. Um, He's on family leave to be with his wife, who is on hospice care um, in her last stages of life as she has had cancer for a long time. So um, it's beautiful in like I said last week, it's just beautiful how our church is caring for and being generous with and loving our pastor and his family. It's absolutely beautiful. He told me this last week um, the amount of grace that he has felt just from that in and of itself has been he 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 can't say enough about it. And so it's just phenomenal. But that means that you guys have to deal with me for a little bit. So just keep the grace coming. OK, can we do that? Um <clears throat> So I have been over there in the fellowship hall service. I have been um, talking about the kingdom of God or attempting to. And I'm going to do so again today over here. And one of one of the things that I want to get at today, the main thing is really just this. What does faith look like in Jesus's kingdom? Now, if you think of like a kingdom, you think of all that a kingdom has, like a kingdom, a kingdom of this world, like a, a country or a culture has like its own culture, its way of doing things, its, its way of exchanging uh, what what uh, what money it uses to exchange goods, how it exchanges those goods, like the economy, the like all that kind of stuff, the norms, the, the cultural norms that we just know, even as Americans, that we just feel like, oh, that's normal. And our feelings agree it kingdoms of the world have all that stuff. Well, the kingdom of Jesus has some of that stuff, too. It's radically different than the kingdoms of the world, which is good news. Can I get an amen? amen. That was such a that was such a quiet amen. Give me another amen. amen. Oh, OK, that was a little better, but you still didn't mean it. But I'll take it anyways. Um, so it's radically different than the kingdoms of the world. And one of the one of the ways that that the kingdom, what moves the kingdom, what moves the heart of God, what moves him in his kingdom is faith. And we, you know, the Gospels are full of stories about faith. And I'm going to attempt to to teach a little bit on faith, probably in a way that I shouldn't, because I'm just dumb enough to to speak out of this text this morning. Lots of much smarter pastors avoid this text, but I'm dumb. So I'm going to we're going to get out of it anyways today. So everybody say try. Try. We're going to try. We're just going to try this morning. Can you try with me? We're going to try and figure this out this morning, this this uh, passage in scripture. And talk about faith a little bit. So I am in uh, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And uh, let's it's going to I think it's going to be up on the screen. Maybe, maybe not at some point. We don't know. OK, so you're going to have to pull out your phones and at least act like you're not playing a game on your phone with me. Or checking football scores today. Come on, guys. I know, ladies, my wife, wife. She's going to be tempted to check football scores this morning. But um, here we are. So Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. All right. So leaving that place, uh, which was a place where Jesus was with um, Jewish folks. 
He was in a Jewish region with Jewish folks, and he was coming against arguments that were arguing against him because he was start, he was just he was doing what Jesus does. He was changing what they thought about religion. What they thought about religion, about following God, is that it's all about the outside. Everybody say outside. You're very sleepy this morning, and so I'm going to make you say stuff and just bear with me. It's all about the outside. It's all about, you know, how many times you come to church. It's all about how you make a sacrifice. It's all about how many times you wash your hands in Jesus' day. It's all about all the outside stuff. And Jesus comes along and starts teaching, well, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about, it's not about you checking all your spiritual boxes and that's why God's presence is with you. It's not about any of that. It's about what's going on on the inside. Because if you haven't noticed, maybe you have, but I've noticed that I can be angry and cynical and hateful and still raise my hands in church and sing to a song. Oh, you, you haven't noticed that? Well, I've noticed that in me. <laughs> okay, I've noticed that I can show up every week to church and check off all my Jesus boxes and still have some really crummy things inside of me going on. And so Jesus is getting at that and he's teaching, hey, man, it's not just about the outside. It's about the inside. I came to change what's inside of you, what's in you. There's darkness in you that I've come to deal with and set you free from so that then the outside is just an outflow of what's going on in you. Instead of trying to get the outside inside, which if you've tried that, like I have, it doesn't work as well. <laughs> and so Jesus is talking about that stuff. And they're like, man, what are you talking about? That's not what religion is. That's not what what? And they're getting really upset. And so Jesus is taking a break from those conversations. And so he leaves that place. And then it says Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I don't know if I'm reading those words correctly, but that's how I pronounce them. So Tyree and Sidon, Tyree and Sidon. Now, if you were original reader of of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew wrote this book with uh, Jewish readers in mind. He wrote this book for church folk like me and like you. He, he that's who he wrote the book for. So if you're or if you're a church folk in Jesus day reading this passage, you go Tyree and Sidon. No way. No way he's going to Tyree and Sidon. That's not where the Messiah goes. He doesn't go to those places. Now, why, you might say, does he not go to those places? He doesn't go to those places because that's where all the evil sinners live. Yeah. That's where, if you, if you just did a word search in the Old Testament for Tyree and Sidon, those two cities, those two locations, you would find a whole lot of conversation about how evil and horrible those places are about how there's judgment coming to those places about how I mean, just there's just a whole lot of a whole lot of people there up to no good. Everybody say up to no good. Right. I mean, it's a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of good godly folk in Las Vegas. There's a lot of great Jesus stuff going in Las Vegas. But it's a little bit like thinking about Las Vegas. You know what stays in what's done in Vegas stays in Vegas. I don't even know what it. What the slogan is, but it's some kind of slogan like that, right? So it's like one of those places. It's like it's it's like Tyree and Sidon. No rabbi in their mind, right mind would go to Tyree and Sidon. It's a little bit like one of my friends. Um, one of my one of my best friends in the whole world has a friend who he has now gotten to know really well and travels with to the Middle East. And so he um, his friend. So we, it's a mutual friend. 
So this guy's, this guy is affectionately known by his friends as Crazy Carl. So Crazy Carl, in 2003, went into Iraq during Desert Storm because he felt like Jesus wanted him to go there. So he goes into Iraq, in, they're staying in Basra, right? They're there, and he's like, I just felt like Jesus wanted me to go there, so I'm there. So he's in the hotel, they're checking in, in Basra, and some of the folks who work at the hotel, who live there, who grew up there, some Iraqis are there, and they're like, hey, wh- where are your guns? Like, where, you, you sound like Americans, you're speaking Arabic, but you sound like Americans. Why, why are you here? Are you part of the military here, or what's going on? And my, my buddy's friend, Crazy Carl, is like, no, we're not, we're not part of the military. I'm here because I think Jesus is doing some stuff here, and I just want to join him. And the man behind the desk says, what, Jesus? You mean Esau? Are you talking about Esau? Esau is the name for Jesus in the Koran. And so they're like, are you talking about Esau? And, and Crazy Carl is like, yeah, absolutely, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Esau. And he's like, stop right there, don't move. And he runs out of the room. <laughs> and so my friend Crazy Carl is like, uh, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Mmm, <laughs> what's happening right now? I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. What is happening right now? And he comes back and he says, I just got back from calling my father. And he's on his way right now. And my, Carl is like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Still trying to figure that out. Oh, great. So now there's other people coming to maybe get me out of here. What's happening? And so what happens is in, in, that, in that story is dad shows up. This man's father shows up and says, oh, you, you're not going to believe this. But many, many years ago, when, when my son, who's standing before you, who, who's now in his 30s, was a small child, a man came through Basra talking about Esau and handing out tapes. Old, you know, but they're not CDs. You guys don't know what, tape deck, what a tape deck is. Don't even act like you do because you don't. But, you know, tapes, you know, you wind them up like this. Is amazing. He handed out tapes and gave us a tape deck to play stories that were read about a follower of Esau who was with him when he walked the earth. And we used to listen to those stories every night until the tape deck went bad. We would listen to them and we, we long for them. You're telling me, so the father's like, you're telling me you have, you, you have a book that tells us about those stories about Esau. And my, and, and my buddy's friend, Crazy Carl, goes and gets a gospel of Luke written in Arabic and hands it to him and, and the man opens the book. And sure enough, there are the stories that he remembers. And he begins to weep. Because he's been so hungry for the hope of Jesus. He's been so hungry to hear the stories again. And Carl says, and he writes, that he, he held it to his breast here. And he kissed the book as if it was very life. That's what happens here in this story. That same thing happens here. Oh, yeah. Because we read Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then it says a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. A Canaanite woman. So not only is he in Tyre and Sidon, right, where the pagans live, where the sinners live, where they all hang out and they're up to no good. Not only is he there, but now, okay, see, this is what happens when you go to the places of no good. People of no good come and they try and talk to you. 
Right? That's why we don't go there, because we don't want to talk to them. Right? So this Canaanite woman now comes. Now, if you know Old Testament history, you know that the Jews and the Canaanites warred for long periods of time. This is like enemy of, like, enemies. So now, enemy comes, representation of enemy. Jews don't associate with Canaanites. They're like enemies. This is exactly like kind of what was going on in 2003 with Carl, who is an American, and, and the men there who are Iraqis. And yet what we find is the same thing as what Carl found in that hotel in the middle of Basra. What we find is this. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. You, the disciples are like, what? Why is this Canaanite? Just like Carl was like, you know, Esau, you know him, you long for him. You, you know, you, you want him. You want us to tell you more. about." I mean, this is the woman, the Canaanite woman says, Lord, which for a Gentile is, is typical language for worship. Like in Jesus' day, Caesar was known as Lord. So the highest authority was given this term Lord. So this woman, this, this Gentile Canaanite gives Jesus the highest authority, like name, representative name. Okay, Lord. But not only that, then she says, son of David. He yeah, has son of David. If you know anything about scripture, you know that that is the term used for the Messiah that would come. Not by the Gentiles, but by the Jews. So she, a Canaanite woman, which one of these is not like the other? Which one of these doesn't belong? The Canaanite woman. Right? So these Jewish men are walking along, traveling in places that they shouldn't go. And by the way, I love that Jesus goes to places like Tyre and Sidon. But we'll get to that in a minute. So they're going. They're where they shouldn't be according to religious structure. They go there. They're walking. And now here comes this Canaanite woman who doesn't belong saying, Messiah. I don't care whatever vernacular you, you, you all use your vernacular, you guys. Messiah, son of David, mine, it's Lord. Messiah, Savior, help me. Have mercy on me. And then you think it's something directly for her because she says me. But, but she, doesn't, she doesn't stop there. She says, my daughter is suffering ter- terribly from demon possession. Now, this is intercession. If you want to talk about prayer and intercession... Intercession is just when we pray for somebody else other than ourselves or for a group of people other than ourselves. This is intercession at its best. Why? Because she has, you know, there's a lot of great moms in here. You get this. She has taken on the darkness and the suffering of her daughter so much so to the point at which it's become her own. So her prayer is help me, but it's not even for her. But is that not the heart of intercession? Jesus, move in that person's life. And you begin to, to hurt over it. You begin to cry over it. You begin to even weep over their suffering, even though it's not directly your own. I love this woman in this text. And then, and then it says this, Jesus did not answer a word. There's so many unexpected things in this text. See, when I, I, I was raised in the church, when I would come along this passage, I would read it to myself and I would think, I have no idea what's going on here. Turn the page. 
Because it was like, what? So Jesus is quiet. But this is after reading people that are way smarter than me about this passage. People that write commentaries and love Jesus in huge ways greater than my own. This, this is really what happens for us, isn't it? I mean, when we really begin to pray, have you noticed that sometimes it just gets quiet? And you're there and you're crying out. You're crying out to Jesus to do something. To move in some way, to change something. And I think it's a part of my experience, and it might be a part of yours too, that sometimes in those moments, he just seems quiet. It's just quiet. See, a lot of times we get offended at that. I'll speak for me. I get offended at that. I get offended when I'm finally starting to pray and there's no answer. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, hey God, I'm talking to you. That was my, me whistling. I can't whistle. Oh, that was better. Hey, woohoo, God, hey, I'm right here. Hello, hello, Jesus. Hello, yep, it's Brian. I'm right here. Well, hello, I'm talking to you. And it's just quiet. We get offended at that stuff because we want it microwave. We want it now. We want it fast. But the woman doesn't get offended. She doesn't get offended at Jesus' silence. It, it's almost as if it encourages her to remain. And I think here's why. Because he's not telling her to leave. See, she knows that she doesn't belong. She knows that in all, on all accounts, on all human reasonable accounts, she should not be there. He should not talk to her. She is not like the others. She's not a faithful Jew. She's a Canaanite. She lives in the wrong part of town, in the wrong city. She, she's not like, and yet he doesn't send her away. So she's not offended when it's quiet. She only gets more bold. And then something crazy happens. In the midst of all those barriers that she knows are real, that she gets, she dresses differently than they do. She speaks a different dialect than they do. She, she, you can tell she's Canaanite by her, by her speech, by how she talks. She knows she's not like the others. She's different. And then this is what happens. Uh, so his disciples came to him and urged him. So in the middle of that space where Jesus isn't talking, the disciples fill some words in. <laughs> do you notice that we kind of do that? Man, I do that. When it's quiet and I don't have any answers, I just start firing away. Maybe I'll hit something. Uh, maybe, right? right? Oh, maybe this is, uh, well, let me, let me read this first. So the disciples came to him and urged him. Now, they're all there. She could hear this. And I can guarantee you they said it on purpose so she could hear it. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She doesn't belong. The disciples said, get her out of here. We're not even supposed to be here. Like, this is not what a Messiah should do. Get her out of here, Jesus. Get her out of here. It's another barrier. And they're simply confirming the things that she already knows to be true. She knows she shouldn't be there. And yet there's something that's keeping her. There's a faith that's keeping her there. Even in spite of all of her differences, even in spite of all of her shortcomings, 
even in spite of the darkness in her child, which to the disciples might be another knock on her list. Well, if she was more spiritual, then this wouldn't be happening with her child. In spite of all that that she already knows, she's sticking around. And then, and then some very interesting statements are made. And it doesn't say Jesus answered. It says he answered, which we'll get to in a minute is important, I think, from what I've read. Then it says he answered. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So for Jesus, this, this, and to the disciples, this makes sense. Jesus came first to the Jewish people to fulfill all the prophecies that were given of the Old Testament. If he didn't come first to the Jewish people, then all these prophecies would have been lying. They wouldn't have been fulfilled. But Jesus came, and it doesn't mean that he came just for the Jewish people and to nobody else. No, he came to the Jewish people first so that the people who encountered him and experienced him and and grew to follow him would be a blessing to the rest of the earth. I mean, this goes back to a promise given to Abraham at the very beginning of the Old Testament saying, through your seed, I will, I will make you a blessing to all nations. That's what Jesus has come. And so Jesus has come to the, to Israel, come to the Jews first so that then the rest of the nations could be blessed. So it wasn't just Jews and not us because most of us are Gentiles in here, non-Jews, right? So does that make sense? Are you guys with me? So he's just stating the obvious, the obvious that she already knows. I was sent only to the lost sleep of Israel. And then verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. So again, again, so the woman comes. She knows she's not supposed to be there. Then the disciples say, dude, get her out of here. And now Jesus says some encrypted thing about he's only come for the Jewish people. And she only continues to be more emboldened. She comes and she kneels before Jesus. Can you see her? Can you picture her? So there's this group of Jewish men walking along with the Messiah in a place that they're not supposed to be, quote unquote. And a woman comes along who's not supposed to talk to them. And is crying out and yelling and won't stop yelling. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, my daughter needs your help. Jesus, Jesus, disciples, get her out of here. She keeps saying, Jesus, Jesus, help. Jesus, have mercy on me. Uh, I've only come to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, I don't know what she's thinking, but maybe she's like not sure what that means. I don't know. But she comes before him. Now she's a physical barrier to Jesus. Now she comes and she kneels. She places herself before him. So she, she has to, he has to walk around her. He plays, she placed herself before Jesus. Have mercy. I need your help. And so she's there. Can you see her? And then it says this. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. This is why I never read this passage. (laughs) Because the Jesus that I knew, kind of, and was getting to know, would never call somebody a dog. Uh, Maybe your version of Jesus would, but mine wouldn't. I mean, that's like, what? What's going on here? See, I think, I think he's identifying the barriers for her. Yeah, 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 I'm, it's supposed to be just for the Jewish folks. Yeah, I know, there's Jewish people who have called you pagans dogs. I'm sure she's heard, I'm sure she's been called before or had her family called before a dog by, by Israel. 
in the midst of wars and all those kinds of stuff that went down. But what she picks up on is something, is a different word for dog than what I think she's heard before. See, there's two words for dog in Jesus' day. Two words in the Greek. First word was a street dog. A dog who doesn't have a home, a dog who just kind of scavenged for itself and who just lives in the streets. Second word for dog was a house pet. A house pet. You know a dog like I have in my house where we care for the dog, it's in the house, we feed the dog, we take care of the dog, all that kind of stuff. You know which one Jesus references in this, in this sentence? The second one. He says house pets get to, right? House pet. She calls her a dog, but a house pet. And then she picks up on it. She doesn't stand against an offense. She picks up on it. She picks up on that little word difference. Which word it is she picks up on? Because then we, we, we read this. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs, the house pets, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. See, she and I, you and I, we so quickly go to offense when we pray and when we intercede and when we dig in. We so quickly are offended by God. But this woman, in her faith, is unoffended by Jesus, unoffended even when he starts listing the barriers. Even when he says a crazy statement like this, she hears. You know what she hears? I'm in the house. I'm in the house. Jesus, you could have sent me away. The first thing, first thing I deserve, Jesus, to be sent away. And isn't that like you and me? When I come with my sin and with my mess and with my, the darkness that's inside of me, he had every right, Jesus did, to send me away. But what did he do? He made a space for me in his house. And she hears it, and she claims it, and she calls it her own. I'm in the house. I can't believe it. I don't, I don't say the right things. I'm not from the right family. I'm not the right whatever. I'm not Jewish descent. I'm not. But Jesus, the Messiah, is saying I'm in the house. I'll take whatever crumbs I can get in the house. I'm in the house. That is such a healthy space for us to be in. See, I'm going to finish this and then I'll get to that. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the the house pets eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman. And note here in, in this passage, the first time when Jesus speaks that his name leads you into it is here. It's almost as if Matthew is saying in this now what Jesus is saying right here is who he is. If you were confused by some of the other things that he mentioned, identifying some of the other barriers, you know, he said this, then he said this, then he said this. Matthew says, don't get it twisted. Jesus is now speaking for Jesus. And that's great because what we hear next is woman. She's gone from house pet to person of infinite worth. Why? Because Jesus is now speaking for himself. Because this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who isn't basing his presence with you off of what country you're from or what language you started speaking when you were little or what background you have or what family you come from or what you get paid every two weeks. He's not basing it on any of that. His kingdom is not built like that. 
Because he's good. And it says, then Jesus answered, woman, you have terrific, you have great faith. There are two times in the entire gospel of Matthew that someone's faith is said to be terrific by Jesus. And they're both Gentiles. They're both outsiders. That's interesting to me. Here's one of them. You have great faith. Your your request is granted. And her daughter was healed that very hour. So what is faith? See, we, I think we, I, I'm going to speak for myself again. I think I complicate faith. Do you? I think I make faith about how much theology I know and can wield. I think I make faith about, well, you know, I'm going to defend the faith. I'm going to defend my faith and I'm, I make it about like somehow this kind of debate and all that stuff and, and, That's not what the Canaanite woman is teaching us this morning. What she's teaching us about faith is something different. What she's teaching us about faith is something really simple, but huge. And it's this. True faith hangs on to the goodness of Jesus, no matter what's going on around it. That's faith. It may not have enough scripture memorized. Memorizing scripture is amazing and helps us know who Jesus is. It's awesome. But it may not raise hands at the right time in the services. It may not, it, it may not dress a certain way. It may not, it may not be from, from America. It may not be. But true faith is a faith that hangs on to the goodness of Jesus no matter what is going on around him or her. That's real faith. That's a faith that moves mountains. That's a faith that, that moves the heart of God. That even, and, and here's, what are, what are some barriers for us? For us. Because this woman had a whole lot of barriers to work through. That she had to lean into the goodness of Jesus. The, the Jesus that she had heard about. And it's like, man, I, the disciples, his followers don't want me here, but I think he's still good. <laughs> I don't dress like them, but I think he's still good. We're supposed to be enemies, but... I just think he's still good. I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to keep crying out. I'm just going to keep after it. For us, maybe some of our barriers are maybe what we say about ourselves. Maybe. Maybe the shame that I hang on to. Maybe. Maybe Maybe I do this whole church thing because I'm trying to earn forgiveness from God. Maybe I do the right thing and then get mad at others when they don't do the right thing. Because all along, I think the right thing is what makes me right with God. But it's not. Maybe, maybe when I pray and God's quiet, maybe I think he's quiet because of my sin, because of me. But what's beautiful about the Canaanite woman's faith is that she's not making it about her. She's making it about Jesus. If you and I come and pray and intercede and make it about our goodness, we will fall flat on our faces every time. Either with pride or with shame. But if we make it about how good Jesus is, 
even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Even when circumstances around us seem like they don't disagree, seem like they disagree with how good Jesus is. Have you ever had some of those? I remember when we found out my wife got cancer, my wife has cancer. And I, and I remember stuff that even, I'm going to get real honest with you this morning. I hope you can handle it. I'm going to ask for grace if we can't. But even good church folks said, church folk from other churches, but good church folks said to me, as I was dealing with the reality of that, you know, stuff like maybe what the kind of in a way that the disciples said about this woman. Good church folks saying stuff like, oh, well, God only gives this kind of thing to people who can handle it, brother. And I'm like, God gave my wife cancer? Wait, 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 wait. Wait, that. And then I went back. I went to the gospel, but back to the gospels and went back to him. And I was like, wait, 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 that, that, no, he's good. No, he's good. He's, he's the one showing up in the middle of it. He's not the one causing it. He's the one who goes to Tyre and Sidon. He's not the one who caused the sin in Tyre and Sidon. He's the light that goes into the dark places to redeem it. That's who he is. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay. But even sometimes good church folk get us twisted about the goodness of Jesus, don't we? Just like did for her. Sometimes the quietness of Jesus is we're praying and praying and praying. We don't hear anything and we get offended and we want to quit. Wants us to forget the goodness of Jesus. But I'm here to remind you, church, Jesus is unequivocally, never-endingly good. The one who went to a cross, who bled and suffered and died and took the punishment that I deserve and you deserve upon himself, is the same one who goes to places like Tyree and Sidon that he shouldn't be and he shouldn't go and he goes on purpose. He goes to hospitals. He goes to chemo treatments. He's in Norma's room, our pastor's wife's room right now, who's in the midst of hospice care, who is dying from cancer. He is there and he's been there all along. See, you and I, we, we like to think that, you know, somehow our circumstances says how good or not good God is. You and I are going to die. I, this could be my last day and there's nothing that I can do to change that. This could be my last day on earth. So it's not trying to get God to give us an infinite amount of days that makes him good or not. How he's good is he shows up even in death. Even in suffering, even in places like Tyree and Sidon, Jesus can show up. That is our hope. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen it. I've seen it with my cousin who tried to commit suicide and was in a coma for weeks, woke up one day. My mom had been praying and fasting and all of this. She hated God. She hated everything that had to do with God. I start talking to her about Jesus in a hospital room. She says, I want Jesus. I baptize her with a cloth. 
Her father comes in who had abused her. She forgives her father. Her father forgives her. Her daughter comes in who she had been horrible with. Her, she asks forgiveness of her daughter. Her daughter forgives her. Heaven came down in Tyre and Sidon. I've seen it. But it's hard to hang on to it when you're in between. And I get it. But my reminder to you today is don't forget how good he is. I know circumstances can try and speak otherwise. I know even good church folk can try and speak otherwise. But don't forget how good he is. I know the voices that you carry, your own voices of shame about yourself, can speak otherwise. No, God couldn't use me. No, God doesn't hear my prayers. No, God, I know that. But push through the barriers because Jesus is good and he's better than any of those voices. Our pastor will see his wife again. Jesus showed up and conquered even death. We will all experience death, but will we all experience life? And it comes with leaning into Jesus. Not letting go of his goodness. Hanging in there. Even when stuff is speaking otherwise. Hanging into his goodness. Because he is that good. Yes. As we close today, the worship team is going to come up. One of the most profound moments of grace that I've experienced in my life was when Jesus, as my wife was getting chemo in the hospital, her sister, who we and we're still praying for, who we pray for for a long time to get to know Jesus, who lives an alternate lifestyle, who thinks the church hates her and thinks God hates her and has heard people say that to her, asked us. While we're sitting there, so many moments of prayer for her. She asks us, how do you find hope here? How do you hang on to something good? And I got, for the first time, to talk to my sister-in-law about how good Jesus is. Even in Tyree and Sidon. And I want that for you. The music plays a little bit. Yeah, it's going to play. There's a couple ways that we're going to offer to respond this morning. To the goodness of Jesus. Maybe this morning. I get it. It's hard to remember how good he is. I get it. I think that's why he gave us a book. So we could go back to it. I get it. But maybe you need to remember how good he is through communion this morning. By just coming and remembering that he gave his body in his blood to unequivocally say to you, I love you and you are welcome and your home is my home. Come and take and eat. He's that good. Maybe, maybe that's how you respond 
to Jesus' word this morning to you. Maybe we're also going to have uh, prayer, some folks to, to pray for people come forward. A prayer team is going to come forward. It's, right now would be great. So those who are serving communion can come forward right now too. So we got some folks that, that we trust in our community. They're not going to share with anybody else what you ask for prayer for. But maybe for you, part of you saying, I want to remember how good Jesus is, even in the midst of being in Tyree and Sidon. Maybe you need somebody to pray that over you. Maybe you need somebody to say, yeah, he is that good. And let's pray about that relationship, that situation, that loved one, that issue in you, that darkness in you. Because make no mistake, Jesus came to Tyree and Sidon in my own heart, too. The darkness that dwells in me, Jesus shows up there, too. If we invite him. So a couple ways to respond this morning. You can come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and remember his goodness. You can ask for you can come forward and ask somebody to pray for you for what's going on in your world. Maybe it's intercession from somebody else like the for somebody else that you love, like the Canaanite woman. It's the right time for that. And we pray simply remembering his goodness and hanging on to it. So, Jesus, in these moments as we sing and we receive and we get prayed for, help us to be leaning into your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen.